if you look at the top 15 20 oldest professions which are more than 10000 years old it's not head of strategy it's not a ceo job it's actually being a painter being an artist a musician a storyteller and and that's what we want to create actually uh, going forward because these are fundamental values of of being human everything else is good to have you can keep on changing them based on the industry occupation you're doing but if you can be empathetic if you can be creative that's what defines us as being a, a human hi everyone and welcome to inner wealth the forbes ignite podcast i'm your host nicole kakal ceo of forbes ignite and every week i'll be sharing with you my conversations with unique creative and innovative people across all different industries these are people who are intellectually curious explorers who are also redefining what it means to be successful today from personal to professional we cover it all to understand what drives our guests to blaze their own trails and create nimble solutions within the industries that touch each of our lives. Our guest today is Abhinav Singhal, Chief Strategy Officer of the Asia Pacific Region at ThyssenKrupp. Abhinav's journey is so inspirational as he is the perfect example and champion of lifelong learning. He not only leads strategy and innovation at his company, but he is also passionate about helping others navigate what the future of work means for them and the people around them. Of all the many hats he wears, he highlights the need to remember the importance of empathy and rehumanizing the work that we do. We talk about everything from creative leadership to the importance of practicing self-reflection in a world that's so focused on productivity and efficiency. I know you're going to love what he has to say. Here's our chat. Hi, Abhinav. How's it going? Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Nicole. Pleasure as always. It's, It's an interesting year for me. I'm looking forward to it just moved houses, expecting my second uh, child and also looking at changing jobs. So a lot of things lined up for this year. Wow. It's quite a transitionary period for you. And I'm glad that I caught you, caught you at a really great time to say the least. Yes, indeed. You know, I think transitions are always exciting. When I reflect on my life, I think transitions are the movements which have really shaped uh, some of the most interesting, meaningful experiences because they take you out of your comfort zone, put up some new challenges and also force you to figure your way out and and learn something. And then you reflect on it and feel good about it. So I'm looking forward to these ones as well. Tell me about what you're currently transitioning from in in your current role as a strategy and innovation leader, and you are transitioning over to your new role. Right. So I've been doing this uh, role now for the last four years. I I lead strategy for ThyssenKrupp, uh, which is a German industrial uh, conglomerate. And when I joined, uh, uh, took over this role, my my role was coming from consulting, uh, a classic strategy role. But I realized within a year into this that strategy without looking at the mega trends of our lifetimes, which is sustainability and technology, doesn't take you too far. And uh, then I jumped on technology and digitalization as as a theme, which I would like to use for Thyssen Group to create value for our customers. And over the last few years, that's been most of my focus. Uh, From understanding technology to building a digital venture, I founded a a startup for Thyssen Group where we are using now technology and digital uh, solutions for our customers. And now the new role which I'm looking at is moving all the way into technology sector. So I'm actually moving away from industrial sector, moving away from oil and gas, uh, mining, cement, heavy industries into pure technology development. And I'm excited about that. It will be something new I have not uh, been deeply exposed to, but at the same time, a lot of stuff to learn uh, and master on. 
No, that's incredible. And that sounds so exciting. And it sounds like you've been preparing your entire life for this role. So it sounds perfect for you. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but yes, <laughs> I all, I'm always seeking out experiences which can give me uh, something new, a new perspective, a new area to learn because that fundamentally energizes me. Yeah. So I want to zero in and really hone in on this, this theme of lifelong learning because we've known each other for quite some time now. And I think in the very beginning, when I first met you, we were talking about our initiative, which was centralized around the future of work in the Middle East. And a lot of that had to do with lifelong learning and upskilling as well. So tell me a little bit about that. Right. No, I'm, I'm still fortunate that we had that conversation. I remember I was, was uh, talk, doing a talk on future work uh, in, in Dubai. And then uh, you and, and Will reached out uh, regarding a similar concept and how can we use this to do something for the region. Uh, and when I reflect now uh, over the last you know one year of experience with Forbes Ignite, with the work which we have done and the problem which we are trying to solve, I think it the current crisis has showed it to be, I would say, even more important than what we had imagined a year back. Because right now we are living at a time where we are looking at more than 1 billion jobs which will get disrupted by technology. This is the latest forecast by World Economic Forum. And what that means is that each and every one of us will carry out some tasks in our day, in our role, which will get automated, which will get uh, replaced by technology. And that poses a question for us, how do I change my role? How do I adapt to this change? How do I learn the technology to maybe smarter and make better use of that? And I think that is, is the crisis or let's say the pivot or the catalyst for lifelong learning. But at the same time, I would not even restrict the scope of lifelong learning to technology. It's also, I think, a fundamental part of who we are as human beings, what differentiates us. Because it, it's almost like, you know, goal seeking, seeking new experiences, learning about new stuff, which helps you become a better version of yourself. And I think that is a very fundamental calling for anyone. I love that. And I think that it's such a noble cause. You're so well-versed in this field and you're, I know that you're deeply passionate about helping other people reskilling and really seeing what their calling is. So what kind of work have you done in the past that have led you up to this point where you're helping other people upskill and rethink their roles? So I'll give you a very honest answer. I think when I started my uh, professional life as a consultant, uh, it was pretty much part of the job to help our clients succeed, to be genuinely uh, available to them to understand what are the challenges they are facing, right? And as part of that, I think somewhere during my consulting life, I, I picked up this habit of coaching, mentorship, and trying to help people becoming a better version of themselves or at the minimum, uh, doing something which can enable them to be more successful. And now when I reflect on uh, this, this is also a fundamental value. So when I did my character strength survey, uh, this was something which came top uh, of, of the strengths, which I get energy out of. How do you uh, build a love for learning and how do you spread wisdom and kindness uh, around you? So I think it's a bit of selfish uh, because somewhere deep down inside, I have a need for uh, attention and acceptance from people around me. And I like uh, to use this as a defense mechanism to coach people uh, to create and add value in their lives because I think somewhere it gives me energy at the end of the day. So I, I, that is, let's say, the underlying uh, motivation or the drive which I have. 
what it has uh, translated into on the positive side is i've used it to uh, do a lot of informal mentorship coaching sessions for example in my current role as part of world economic forum as part of forbes ignite trying to run initiatives which can help people get a better understanding of of all these digital technologies what does it mean for them and how can they apply them in their work and something which i'm even more passionate about is i last year during the uh, covid crisis i had some time off and i managed to create a course on udemy on digitalization and now one year down the line uh, i'm most proud i think about this this initiative because i have around 600 students it's one of the highest rated course at a 4.6 rating and there are people from over 55 countries whom i could have never imagined reaching out to who have taken this course and have given me feedback so i think this is one of the most satisfying experiences i've ever had and i would strongly encourage people to think about it wow and so this was the first course you've ever taught this is the first course I ever created. So I, I used to do some side gigs uh, at the university, at campuses, or, or, or doing some guest lectures. But this was the first time where I learned how to create an e-learning course, how to make it uh, interactive. It was not perfect. I can still find a lot of things which I can improve. But it was the first experience of, of doing something like this completely on my own in my uh, free time. And then putting it out there, making myself vulnerable. And it's very satisfying to see that there's so many people who have found value out of that. That's incredible. And I, what I love and what I really admire and what I've learned about you is, is how you, you definitely practice what you preach and you're helping people not only find their truth and find their calling, but also you're continually learning and you, you're not afraid to try something new and put something out there. And so I would love to hear about what are some of the examples of some of the most rewarding experiences for you when you've helped other people reach their calling? I'll give you this example uh, from two years back. So we were doing an assessment center for our leadership talent. And I had a bunch of folks who were in their mid-50s, quite experienced in their roles, functions, heading HR, heading a particular sales region for 20, 30 years of their life. But during that assessment center, they identified that there are a lot of soft skills which they can benefit in terms of managing people, influencing stakeholders, being more uh, top-down communicator, improving their storytelling, because they've never been exposed to uh, as a formal training in their career. And because of my consulting experience and an interest in, in trying to build these life skills, I had an opportunity to talk to them. The first reaction, I remember the first interaction was, you are a 35-year-old kid. I, we have seen more life than you. I don't really know what you can teach us, uh, what you can teach me. But when we, we started opening up and having these conversations, I shared some experiences. I could build that trust and, and be authentic on what I know and what I don't. And eventually they could take away something really concrete. And even after two years, I get lots and lots of uh, stories uh, back from them. This is how we applied this at work, or this is how I managed uh, a retrenchment or a referral uh, or a crisis at work. And thanks to you that, you know, we talked about that. So I think small experiences, nothing great, nothing uh, with million dollar impact, but has a direct impact on people. And when you hear back these stories, then it becomes truly rewarding and satisfying. No, that's really enriching. And it really gives me hope that there are people like you out there in the world that are really helping people identify the type of impact that they want to make in the world. And you're helping them see that for themselves. That's worth more than million dollars worth of impact. So I really commend you for that. 
thanks and i think what's also important is uh, which i have reflected on a lot so the, the the latest subject where i'm investing all of my time and energy and learning is is neuroscience and and psychology because that just helps me ask the right questions and and probe me and become understanding myself better and as i hinted previously as well i i'm doing this of course for a social cause but somewhere deep down it's also an underlying need uh which i'm i'm meeting for myself uh so there's also a selfish interest it's so it sounds like you're doing a lot of self reflection and there's you can learn so much from that and i think this past year a lot of people could say that this was definitely the year for self reflection right and i think uh, if you remember we did this live design exercise which thanks to you i i learned about deconstruction and reconstruction of of the degrees of freedom and what matters to your life i think that was a very powerful tool and and very fascinating for me to see that how can you apply design thinking uh, onto your own life thanks to you and find out what really matters to you and how can you create a life which is meaningful for you personally now i'm really passionate about the life design exercises and that whole concept because when we're thinking about applying design thinking to products and services in business models we're always designing for other people within a set of constraints but when you're applying that concept to yourself your most important project in life is yourself. So, I think that has a lot to do with the work that you've been doing for so many years, you practicing design thinking without you knowing that it was design thinking. So, I think it was only natural that we would <laughs> that we would actually find some commonality in that. No, but I I still find uh, very uh, few examples of of people actually structuring that process and making it accessible and and widely available for uh, people to reflect and apply. So I think that's something which is really great uh, which you've picked on and and I hope through Forbes Ignite platform you're able to pass on that to more and more people. That's definitely the plan. And what I'm really curious about is what was your experience when you were going through the life design exercises? What were your thoughts around that? So initially uh when I reflect I think so the, the basic concept I think uh, which I picked up was how do you deconstruct your life and figure out what is taking your time what activities are really energizing for you and then as you try and imagine a world or your ideal life then how can you reconstruct and bring back those elements which truly matter and take away all the noise uh which is possibly sucking up time or as a distraction so throughout this process initially when you know when i got exposed to it i was a bit skeptical uh another framework another methodology to apply but i think when you go through the process and when you also supplement for from other sources of insights about yourself i think then it becomes truly powerful so for example when i'm deconstructing my life and defining my ideal life i took help of you know talking to few few friends colleagues family looking at some surveys uh, which tell me a bit more about myself what are my avatars what are my sources of energy and when you bring it all together then you see a very wholesome picture of yourself and then it works then it's it's like magical i love that and you mentioned something that so many people i've i've heard the same feedback from so many people where people are very skeptical in the very beginning And I think that's actually a good thing because it it really leads to critical thinking that they're actually going into this knowing that this might have an effect on my life, this might actually have an impact in my decision making process and how I approach life. But they're going into it like a cautious optimist. At least I like to consider myself a cautious optimist, and that's how I personally approached life design. Yeah, no, that that makes complete sense. So what I would love to know more about is. 
you're an incredibly optimistic person and you help a lot of people reach their goals and get to where they need to be. So throughout your career, have there been people in your life that have really shaped your thinking and shaped your thought process? No, that, that's a great uh, question, Nicole. As I think about the people who have uh, really shaped my life, definitely I think uh, parents have a big role because what you experience uh, in your childhood, they have the strongest impact uh, in the behaviors and, and, and attitudes which you develop. So I'll give you a small example. Uh, I was a single child and uh, one of the asks I used to get from my parents is, you know, be nice to people around you, talk to your cousins, uh, mingle in groups, uh, be flexible, be adaptable. And as a result of that, I realized that throughout my life, I developed this subconscious habit of trying to be adaptable to people, which over a period of time becomes a strength that you are actually very flexible and adaptable and you can work across cultures and geographies and respect diversity. So somewhere deep down inside that originated because I was a single child and because my parents wanted me to uh, mingle with all the kids and, and not be alone. Uh, so I think the experiences you have in childhood, I think they shape uh, a, a big part of your personality. I think then uh, my experience during McKinsey has also left a very strong impact because in a short amount of five, six years, the kind of diversity of experiences you get across sectors, industries, clients, geographies, I think that just helps you respect diversity. And that also helps you see a common pattern across people, no matter which area, which topic you're working on, you realize that people behave in a certain, in a very similar manner. And now I've come to the conclusion that organizations, irrespective of whatever role you do is, is, is actually strongly driven by people, the culture, and, and if you can get those dynamics right, then it doesn't really matter which function you're working for. Each and every problem can be broken down into three parts. There is an element of content, which is role specific, 20%. There is an element of general problem solving, critical thinking, which is 60%. And then there is an element of people and organization dynamics, another 20%. So I think 80% of whatever you're doing is actually replicable. So that has also played a, a big role. And uh, then I think, uh, as, as I reflect now, the whole experience with Forbes Ignite and, and interacting with you and Will, I think also helped me develop a, a, a much more admiration for diversity and a better understanding of all the tools which are available out there. For example, around design thinking, which I really picked up from you. And that has shaped my thought process and how I can think about problems in a more fluid manner rather than always being too structured, uh, which I learned from consulting. So I think each and every experience is sort of add something to your kitty. And over a period of time, you realize that they are shaping your personality and helping you uh, become a better version of yourself. That is that is beautiful. And what I love the most is a lot of the learnings that you, that you learned from your parents throughout your life, and it really influenced you. I, I'm very curious how you've passed on a lot of those insights to your own kids. Something I'm still working on, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, I haven't cracked the code, but uh, a few things which I want to pass on to my kid is very basic things which are applicable for, for humans. I would say if you are able to uh, exercise regularly, eat healthy, sleep on time, meditate, uh, meditation, for example, is one thing if I have to pick out, which I actually suck because for most part of my life, I did not realize the, the potential of meditation. And I felt it's something which is uh, looks good, but but I don't really need it. 
But now I see that it can give you an, an advantage because everything we do is, is a function of the prefrontal cortex and how sharply we can think about topics and how can we calm down our inner fears. And through meditation, there is a lot of studies which prove that you can get an advantage and you can be more of yourself. So that's something I'm really trying that at a young age, if I can teach him, then that's something uh, they can really benefit off, something which I never did. So what I really enjoyed the most from working with you over the past year or so is our work that we're doing with our fellowship program. And it was based off a lot of the learnings that we found with the initiative that we started with back, I want to say it was back in last March, March of last year. And we took a lot of those insights and a lot of the learnings from the work that you and the team did. And we've actually incorporated that into our fellowship program that's starting in a couple of weeks. So I would love to hear your thoughts around that and what your hope is for the program. I think the well, the basic problem, you know, which we're trying to address is how do we reimagine the whole process of learning and prepare the participants of the program for all the changes which technology is bringing in, which we call as future of work. And let me break this down a bit, right? So as you think about the current education system, we spend a lot of time in our lives early doing a lot of learning without any doing or without doing any professional work. And then we spend the rest 35, 40 years of our life just doing with minimal learning. That has been the historical model. But as we think about future, we actually cannot rely on this past approach to prepare our future candidates for jobs which don't even exist, right? To work on technologies which haven't been invented or solve problems that we don't even know are problems yet. And because of that, it's really important that we break the fundamental flaws in this approach of just either learning or doing, which breaks down into three areas. There is a gap of time. You spend a lot of time upfront on just learning and then a lot of time on doing. We have to make this a more iterative process. The second challenge is around content. In our classrooms, in our education system, we focus a lot more on conceptual and theoretical concepts, and we need to bring back the industry knowledge into the curriculum. And third, the skills gap. We are still focusing a lot on functional skills, uh, and it's high time we think about life skills because ultimately, as we have artificial intelligence available to do a lot of these routine tasks, we don't need to necessarily create the the most analytical student in the classroom, but we definitely need to create the more empathetic, the more humane student in the classroom, because that's what will survive. And that's the hardest thing to recreate uh, in the next uh, 20, 30 years. So I think this was the whole genesis. And then you know this better than me, which we were trying to address through this initiative. How do we reimagine this whole process and break some of these fundamental flaws? Now, when I think about our initiative, what we have done, I think, uh, again, Thanks to the Forbes Ignite platform, we had this amazing convergence of two initiatives where Gauri was leading around mentorship and we talked about future of work and we said, how do we bring it together? How do we also add an element of mentorship into this as people are looking for transitions, changes in careers? And, and I reflect on last year, uh, the crisis, so many people coming from airline, hospitality industry are looking at career shifts. It could be very daunting. It is these moments of, of transition, if we can find the right mentor, and we can enable the learning journey, then you can truly empower people to dream and, and pick up challenges which they have never dreamt of. And that is what the current fellowship model is trying to do. We pick 30 uh, women from Middle East and, and, and rest of the world, and then we empower them with concepts of AI, with healthcare, and work on some challenges 
and and we are not biased that they need to be from a particular background but we only need people who are willing to make a difference and and the group is working with each other to provide the right coaching support mentorship and and create a new pathway for them there has been a lot of inspiration that went into constructing this program and what i love the most about the genesis of the program was this cross pollination of ideas we're trying to enable the learnings and the insights of what we've learned ourselves we're trying to pass this on to the fellowship participants and you're right that you don't have to be the most analytical or anything like that but you have to be empathetic and you have to have a high eq and really think through how are you helping your fellow human being not within your own spheres but beyond that as well yeah in fact you know just building on that i was just was uh, reading an article the other day and uh, that was about some of the oldest professions in the world and that made me really wonder so if you look at the top 15 20 oldest professions which are more than 10000 years old it's not head of strategy it's not a ceo job it's actually being a painter being an artist a musician a storyteller mm-hmm. and and that's what we want to create actually uh, going forward because these are fundamental values of of being human everything else is good to have you can keep on changing them based on the industry occupation you're doing but if you can be empathetic if you can be creative that's what defines us as being a, a human no absolutely and i 100% agree because it's my belief that we are all inherently creative that we all have that in us and it's just a matter of unlearning some of the things that inhibit us and prevent us from truly expressing our creative side and i think that's going to be really fundamental in the future of work going forward but i know you have your own views in terms of how basically the whole function of work is evolving uh, in the next 10 15 20 years from now so i think um, sometimes there is a lot of hype in the media about job losses and it becomes a, a topic around uh, how many people are getting out of job but i think that is not the right way of looking at it because uh if you look at the consensus numbers you're talking about not more than 10 15% net net reduction in jobs i think what's more important that more than 80 90% of jobs will have tasks or activities which have the potential of getting automated so give let me give you an example so let's say if you're a a, a bank teller then it's not necessary that all the tasks which you carry out as a bank teller will get automated but definitely there are a lot of tasks which can change so that you can become a virtual teller and let's say in crisis when you don't have to meet your customers in in uh, person but you can do it over a video call or you can also do telling plus cross selling and upselling uh, work for the bank every role is getting disrupted by technology because there are some tasks which can be automated which can which are predictable routine and that once that is out of your job scope what does it mean for you how do you continue to be employable how do you continue to create value and how can you take up some of the bigger tasks which are related to more empathy to creativity and create more value for the company that's the the whole essence of future of work so my personal take is that each and every one of us irrespective of your role will have certain tasks in our job which we are doing today which will get automated which technology is better suited to take care of and then we have to answer this question for ourselves what is the value i can create and with the additional time which i get how can i utilize it 
to become better at what we are doing and create more value for the company. And in that process of discovery, it means understanding what is the potential of technology, understanding where is the value created in the company, and trying to pick up more tasks, more activities, more projects, which are more meaningful to create your own transition. So I'll give another practical example. When I took over as a strategy, I realized that basic strategy will not be uh, able to create sustainable value because I need to use technology. And then I moved on to do a work where I'm doing some project and defining a technology strategy. Then I found some peers and mentors who can help me have this conversations to understand what are the real trends happening uh, in my industry, uh, moving out, attending events and conferences, doing a lot of reading. And slowly over a period of time, I realized that I have become comfortable, I can understand and I talk about this. And the final is uh, Holy Grail, I think is applying it in a project or, or teaching it uh, to people. That's when you really internalize it and, 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 and it becomes real for you. So everybody I think can, can have this transition without making a big deal out of it, but it is really important to understand the urgency that it is for real and it is a process of self-discovery. Yeah, I honestly couldn't agree more that when we're really thinking about value creation here versus value extraction, we're really shifting mindsets here. And there's a lot to be said around how things are going to be changing sooner rather than later. And it's not all going to be people being replaced by automation, so to speak. It's really just how do you upskill and how do you reskill people so that they're actually learning new skills that they otherwise never would have had any access to right now. Correct. So my favorite take on that is, you know, that artificial intelligence will not replace humans, but humans who can work with artificial intelligence will replace humans who cannot. Mm -hmm. And that basically means is that you don't need to really think about automation or technology taking your jobs. But if you don't change, if you don't learn, then definitely you will find other people who are more comfortable with technology or more adapt than you, and they would be more suited to carry out that role or that task. And hence, it's really important for each and every one of us to really be aware of what's happening in our role in our sector, and then start taking small baby steps by reaching out to people, doing reverse mentorship, reading up on material, doing an online course. There's so much stuff available now for free. Or what we are trying to do, for example, through our uh, fellowship, creating an environment where people can come, agree, discuss, debate, and learn about technology and apply it to create a more meaningful outcome. I know we touched upon this a little bit around the fellowship program, but I would love to hear your thoughts around how technology can actually be used as a force for positive social impact based on what you're seeing in the world right now. I think there are it's there are a team number of, of, of examples, applications to which we can use technology for. Uh, it is just a matter of finding the right uh, use case or and the right let's say resources to put behind it so it's it's a, it's a world full of possibilities uh, to be honest if i just pick up what we are trying to do in the in the area of healthcare uh, and also given uh, it's one of the most urgent topics now for us as a society to face after the crisis artificial intelligence gives us a lot of interesting ways where we can use technology to create a better and more meaningful uh, healthcare system for, for the citizens of the world. So for example, if you have to do diagnostics uh, using x-rays, rather than relying on pathologists 
Uh, and in some cases where you don't even have access or right coverage of pathologists, you can have tools who can read x-rays and already make a pre-assessment uh, to predict whether someone is suffering from a particular disease or not, or providing remote uh, healthcare services online, telemonitoring, uh, that is another area where it can improve the accessibility of healthcare systems to everyone. Or for example, thinking about triage, if you have in a hospital, multiple patients coming in, you can use technology to already create a diagnosis based on the criticality on who should be treated first, and that can actually help save lives. So I would not say that, again, the intent here is that we use AI or technology to replace our existing healthcare staff, but because the coverage of healthcare staff across the world is still so poor, it is just another enabler to improve access and make it more equitable for everyone. Oh, absolutely. And so this is a question that I actually ask everyone on the podcast, and I would love to hear your definition of what you think inner wealth is. Great question. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> I think inner wealth is, the way I would like to define is is based on my unique experiences as a human, which I have experienced. Uh, experience so far in my lifetime, what are some of the reflections which I can share with my fellow beings? What are some of the stories which I can share, uh, which can act as a source of wisdom and make life better and help them in what they are trying to do? So ultimately, it's, it's something which is unique to everyone, unique experiences, which are, uh, or, or stories which are transferable uh, and act as a source of insight to help somebody else. That is beautiful. And I love that. Well, Avinav, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. And I'm so glad we got a chance to catch up after so long. It's been it's been a minute, but we definitely have to do this again sometime. Definitely, Nicole. Likewise, I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, looking forward to continue working with you and, and taking our fellowship model and, and Forbes Ignite to greater heights. Thank you so much. Same here. And thank you so much. That's it for this week's episode of Inner Wealth. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and that you'll join us next week as we continue to explore all the ways success is being redefined in our ever-changing world. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast app. And follow us on Instagram at Forbes Ignite for more thought-provoking content and opportunities to engage with us. I'm your host, Nicole Kakal. Thanks for joining us.